Everything goes to a quarter to one. That clock is uh, at least 15 minutes off. So if I stop by at least half past, this is 35 minutes. Is that okay? Uh, James 3 and 1, please. James 3 and 1. It's interesting. <clears throat> when I phoned about coming down here, and I want to thank you for allowing me to come, I just put something on paper that uh, a different lineup. We speak on this a fair amount, but a different lineup. And uh, when I was talking to Mr. Carmen, Michael, he, he mentioned that uh, something along assembly lines would be all right. And so uh, we're going to look a little at uh, assembly truths. I want to talk about five of the most strongest phrases uh, about a New Testament assembly that there is in the Word of God. Uh, at least that I know of but James chapter 3 and 1 my brethren be not many masters or teachers knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation or judgment now turn to Matthew 5 and 19 please so he's uh, telling the, the believers not to be many teachers because there's going to be a great judgment for what we teach and when we handle the Word of God, we've got to do our homework. We've got to see not only what's on the surface, we've got to pull the thing apart to look at, at what God's getting at. And the subject I'm after today, it's, it's not an easy subject. Uh, a lot of the believers fight this. Most of the churches don't bother with this at all. I'm talking about not the assemblies, but Matthew 5 and 19. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments and shall teach them so he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven but whosoever shall do and teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven so it's one of the least if you break it and teach it there's great consequences and so when he's talking about the least one of the smallest truths that we have is absolutely important to God now what's so important about it is God's truth it's not ours it can become ours if we read it and understand it and apply it and live it and teach it the way it is. But so often, some believers don't read sufficient, don't study sufficiently, don't get deep enough in the Word of God. And when you get truths like this, in the quiet places or away from the Bible readings, the truths that are taught in the Bible readings of the ministry are being ripped apart. And they have one reason or another why they should not practice it. But here he says one of the least. Now, in, in Matthew as well, he says, but in vain they do worship me teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. So we don't want to be found there. Teaching doctrines and commandments of men will be in vain, will be a waste of time. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about if a man's works abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. But if a man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. So what he's, he's talking about teaching on the foundation. He's talking about teaching the believers the truths of the Word of God. And if our teaching is wood, hay, and stubble, the philosophies, the traditions of men, it'll be burned at the judgment seat of Christ. But if it's the gold and the silver and the precious stones, the word of God, we'll receive a reward. 
And the thought of if a man's work be burned. Now it's hard to believe that anybody in the assembly would have his uh, life's work to be burned, his, his, his teaching to be burned. Now primarily we're talking about teachers here. But uh, in some circles, it's possible that a believer can teach and his life work to be burned. And that would be a horrible thing to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and to see that what we taught was only the traditions of men. So, beloved, we need to read the Word of God, but we need to study the Word of God. We need to be convicted of what the Word of God says. Please, don't go your whole life, well, they teach this over there, or some brother said this, or I heard this on a tape. That's not good. You're an individual believer. You're, you're a priest. You, you've been given some ability to learn the Word of God. You need to search this out for yourself. It's okay when you're a babe to listen to other believers, especially ones that you trust. But, beloved, it's your responsibility to get in the Word of God, to see what the Word of God says for yourself, to get your own convictions. And without that, you're on shaky ground. You won't be moved in any wind of doctrine that comes along. Now let's look at these five things that are... are oh, let me just say this. Revelation 3 and 2 it says, Strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die. Strengthen the things that remain and that are ready to die. Now in the seven churches of Asia, outside of Philadelphia, they were losing everything in the Word of God. One time or another. And so, the Lord Jesus says today for us, we'll apply it for us today. He says, you as a believer, strengthen the truths, the doctrines that are taught, that remain. Well, why does he say remain? Because there's likely things that we've lost already. And it may be too too late to strengthen them. We may have lost truths. And we're not going to get it back. But what we have that's under attack by the devil, he says, you strengthen that. That simply means you teach the Word of God to strengthen the people of God. Now some of these truths, some believers don't like to hear. Because there's great sacrifice involved. And if the heart's not right, we'll fight it. And then there's a danger we'll try to teach what we don't want and tear down the truths that remain and some are weak now I don't think today in this assembly what we're going to teach is weak I'm not saying it's not under attack because it's just about under attack in every assembly and it has been for years and uh, let's go to let's go to first Corinthians chapter 14 and 34. Now this is not so much attack in the assemblies, this verse. It's attack in every other uh, denomination out there or evangelical place or almost all of them. 1 Corinthians 14 and 34. He says, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, the thought of this word shame, 
the NIV, which is not one of my favorites, but the NIV says it is disgraceful or disgrace for a woman to speak in the church. Now, God wrote this. Why is it a disgrace for a woman to speak in the church? I want to look at four other things that are disgraceful. And I want to ask the question, why? Now, to be the disgrace, that's powerful. That is wrong. But why? Come with me, please, to 1 Corinthians 11 and 5. 1 Corinthians 11 and 5. But every woman that prayeth or prophesy with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. Now, it says here that she dishonors her head. Dictionary meaning for that is she disgraces her head. So we're going to look at four different words, but all with the same thought of disgracing her head. Why is it, in the mind of God, a disgrace for a woman not to have what we call a removable covering on her head? Why? Why would he use such powerful language? Why does he want this so much? Come with me to verse 6, 1 Corinthians 11. For if a woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. That's got to do with the cutting of the hair. But if it be a shame, same word, a disgrace for a woman to be shorn or to be shaven, let her be covered. So why is it a disgrace for a woman to be shorn? See, it's easy to see what God wants. In this case, he wants women silent. He wants women to have a, a removable covering on her, on her head. And he w- wants her not to be shorn. In every case, it's a disgrace. Disgrace, disgrace. Now, I don't want to sound hard here. And probably I will. But the Lord wrote this. So it's easy to see what he wants. But why? Let's go to the next one. Um, this is 1 Corinthians 11 and 4. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors or disgraces his head. Now, why is it a disgrace for a man to have a covering, a hat on his head? I mean, what's the big deal if a man had a hat on his head? That doesn't seem like anything morally wrong. But why is it a disgrace in the mind of God for a man to be covered? Now, I'm asking you, do you know? Do you really know? Come on down to verse 14. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame, different word, but a disgrace unto him. So with the man to have long hair, it's a disgrace. He has covering on his head, it's a disgrace. 
Why? Well, we're going, we're going to look, go back. We're going to look at the first one for a minute, which is not really a problem. And yet, in some circles, it's a great problem. Uh, not so much amongst the assemblies. But come back with me to 1 Corinthians 11 and 5. And he says here, But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered disgraces her head. Now, are women supposed to pray and prophesy? He says it's a disgrace if they're, if they're not covered. Is it okay if they are covered? Is he talking about silently? Well, it's kind of hard to prophesy silently. He's talking about in the assembly. This is an assembly truth. They were audibly speaking back in Corinth, I take it, from, from this verse. Prophesying has, has to be audibly. And he says, it's a disgrace to pray or to prophesy audibly if you don't have a covering on your head. And yet that seems to contradict the passages that we read, or at least one of them, or another one we're going to look at. But what's he, what's he doing here? As you know, or I, I think you know, most of you would, that the Corinthian epistle, the Corinthians church, they had a pile of problems. If you could do it wrong, it seems that they got it wrong. Well, right here, right now, in chapter 11, there were two things that they were doing wrong. One, the women were praying and speaking audibly. But he doesn't touch that in chapter 11. He gets out of chapter 14 in, in uh, 1 Timothy. What he's handling here in chapter 11 is the truths about headship. Headship is the thought of a chain of command. He's giving the order which was lost in the fall. But now in the church, in the assembly, he's reestablishing this order. And if we go to chapter 3, we would see that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now we've got to say this though, it's very important to say this, in Christ, in Galatians, he talks about that the man and the woman are equal. Now that's in Christ. That's in the family. That's in salvation. But now here in the assembly, under the thought of the Lordship of Christ, there's a chain of command, there's an order. And so that's what we're looking at, headship. That's why this is such a disgrace if we break it. We're also going to look at that the man symbolizes Christ and the woman symbolizes the assembly. Now chapter 11, well, it's full of symbols. We were just praying and singing about the bread and the wine. They're symbols of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we got the same here further up the chapter. So, for example, if we took and we replaced the wine for the bread, or we played with that some way, it'd be so wrong. Well, that's what happens down here in the passages that we were looking at, or further up, when we adjust the symbolism of headship in the New Testament assembly. That's why it is so wrong. That's why it's a disgrace. Now, let's go back. and We're just going to touch. Now remember, it's praying and prophesying is the problem of 1 Corinthians 11 and 5. But come back with me to 1 Corinthians 14. I'll read from verse 27. I'm going to read about the subject of tongues and then prophets. 
So under the context of that, we're going to have women silent. 14 and 27, If any man speak with an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most three. Notice it's the man. And that by course, there's an order. And let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak two or three and the other judge. Now come on down to verse 37. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. So when we were back in verse 5 of chapter 11, praying and prophesying was going on, but here in chapter 14 he corrects the subject of prophesying, of prophets. And it's the men are to do the prophesying. Now, the prophecy was simply to give forth the word of God without a Bible. See, the Bible hadn't been completed then. And they'd get direct revelation from God and they would give it out. Now we're going to look at a teacher later on. A teacher has a Bible and he's teaching the Word of God. There's no more fresh revelation from God for the Word of God. It's complete. Jude says, Contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints. The Word of God stopped in the first century. No more fresh revelation. I'm not saying that God can't give you some personal direction, but... Not as far as the Word of God goes. Now, that's the first one. Let us uh, go to verse 35. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And if they will learn anything, that's the women, let them ask their husbands at home. So, if a sister is going to learn... She's to ask her husband at home. For example, in the meeting, if she didn't understand something, she didn't get it there, she's to learn here, of course. But if she didn't get it, she's to go home and ask her husband. So questions. Under asking questions, here it says in 34, let your women keep silent in the churches. Not just Corinth. In the churches. In all of them. She's to keep silent. And to ask her husband at home, so what happens if she doesn't have a husband? She'd ask a father. And if, I suppose if she's out of the home, uh, which took, seemed to take them a long time to get out of the home back then, I take it because of headship, but I'm sure you can have a, an elder and his wife over to ask your questions to. So in their questions, she's to be silent. Now, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 for a moment. 1 Timothy 2 and 8. First Timothy 2 and 8 I will therefore that men pray everywhere and the thought of that everywhere is every place thought of a place where the assembly comes together to pray it's a public meeting um, now come on down to verse 11 now remember our problem in First uh, Corinthians 5 was praying and prophesying, so we're going to, Paul's going to adjust praying here. So the men are to pray, verse 11, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. And also he says, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor usurp authority over the man. So 
when it, it comes to tongues, the context is women silent. When it comes to prophets, the context is women silent. When it comes to questions, the questions uh, they're to be silent in the church, ask at home. When it comes to praying publicly, the women are to be silent under that context. And when it comes to teaching, the women are to be silent under teaching. So there's five things there. But again, it's not because the women are not equal with the man. It's the order of headship. Now we look in verse um, 14, sorry, 13. Um, for Adam was first formed. And you see in verse 11, let the woman to be silent with all subjection. And I suffer not a woman to teach nor deserve authority over the man, but to be in silence, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. The very order of creation is going back to that. Why? The way headship come in in the first creation, the order of creation. Verse 14, this is another reason. Adam was not deceived... But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So we see the fall affects the, tr- the truth. And matter of fact, after she fell, she took of the fruit and went to her husband. And the Lord said, You hearken unto the voice of your wife. And he partake of it. Now he had his own choice. But God is setting up the reasons why that the woman is to be silent in the churches. Now come back to first um, Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 7. We're going to see the symbolism in the assembly as far as headship goes. 1 Corinthians 11 and 7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head. Is this culturism? Was this just because something the Gentiles did? For a man indeed ought not to cover his head. The reason is for as much as he, the man, is the image and the glory of God. And it says the woman is the glory of the man. Now, when we go to Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27, 28 down there, it says that both the man and the woman are the image of God. He was going to make them in their own image, male or female. But here in the assembly, it's another verse that shows that this is just an assembly truce, public truce. The man is the image and glory of God. Now what does that mean? Well, the word image, let me give you some dictionaries. Um, figure likeness used of moral likeness uh, of renowned men to God Mr. Hunter says it's the visible representation of Christ but Mr. Vine who is a Greek scholar who of course is with, with the Ashambas at one time uh, I take it his whole life uh, he says in 1 Corinthians 7 and 11 has two ideas the, he's the, the image means the visible representation and moral manifestation of Christ So in the assembly today, under the thought of headship, the man is the physical, visible representation of Christ 
and the moral manifestation of Christ. How are we doing, brother? In other words, the order of God in headship in a New Testament meeting, scriptural meeting, every male is not to have his head covered. He's not to have long hair. Because he physically, visibly, represents the Lord Jesus Christ plus morally. So, that's another reason why the women are to be silent because they're not representing the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the teacher. And in the, in the gathering, it's Christ who's to teach and the men, symbolically, represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, you represent Him in all His holiness, in all His ability. Now, we know the bread comes far short of the body of Christ as far as being put together what it's made of but it's a symbol that represents them but nevertheless every male in a scriptural meaning Christ is in the midst their heads to be uncovered they have short hair and they speak for Christ they represent the Lord Jesus Christ and we're not as holy as he is and yet in some senses we can be We've been given the righteousness of God at salvation. Perfectly holy. And when we do fail, when we do sin, we're told that we can come and confess our sin. And that standard is set up. It's not that we lost our positional standing. But now we can go forward. And practically we're holy. Now as far as ability, of course none of us know the word of God like the Lord Jesus Christ does. But we should put our hearts wholly in to learning the Word of God because up here right now we're speaking for the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to speak in truth. We don't want to speak in error because He's all truth. And an assembly is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And God wants the true worshipers to worship in spirit and truth, context, temple worship. So we represent the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also represent, it says here, the image and the glory of God or of Christ. Now that word glory is a difficult word. And I, again, I go to the, the scholars, the, the, the men that, that write the dictionaries, the lexicons. And the thought of the word glory, it's doxa, and it can have many meanings to it. But what I, I want to give you is it can be majesty, a most glorious condition, a most exalted state, it says here. But it has the thought of honor, rank, dignity, position, uh, authority. Now, Mr. Vines, he says this in 1 Corinthians 11 and 7, the man representing the authority of Christ in the assembly and the woman rendering authority to, to the man or symbolically uh, the assembly rendering authority to Christ that's why these words are so strong that's why it's a disgrace if we break it we're breaking the, the whole fabric of what's going on in the New Testament assembly and uh, so the man here he is not only the physical representation 
But he represents the authority of Christ. And whether you want to use glory or you want to go into these dictionaries and take what Mr. Vine says and others, the authority of Christ. And of course, an assembly is the pillar and ground of the truth. And it's Lord says, I have all power, all authority. And so when you put a covering on your head, dear brother, you're saying that this assembly is covering up the image and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's such a disgrace. And when it comes to the woman, uh, she's to have a covering on her head. There's a couple of thoughts for that. One, she's the glory of the man or represents symbolically the assembly and she's to cover up man's authority. The authority of man is not to be seen in a New Testament assembly in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's also the thought, down in verse 10 they tell me, it's, it's the thought she's wearing that symbol on her head, that covering on her head, because it's a symbol of Christ's right in authority over the assembly. Now let me just give you a little bit on the thought of to cover. There's three different words in the New Testament. One for the man, one for the woman, up in four and five and six, and then one down in fifteen. It's kata, kataklukto, then parabolian. Parabolian is a different structure with a different thought behind it. We'll get to that in a minute, Lord willing. So here's the woman. She's got a covering on her head. She's to conceal the authority of the man. That word covering uh, is the thought is taken from the word hide. She's to completely hide the authority of the man or of the assembly in a New Testament gathering. That's why, and I didn't know when I was a young Christian, we, we just saved about a few months and we went to, um, I think it was a conference. And so, we stopped off at a store to buy my wife and my daughter some hats and it was in the summer and we bought these hats with a whole bunch of holes in them. Well, we got there, I don't know who it was, but somebody or two or three people come up to us and suggested that these hats weren't quite scriptural because they didn't properly conceal. Now, I don't know how far, that, that's up to the government of the assembly how, how far you want to take this, but that seems to be the thought, to hide, to conceal it. Now, let's go down to 1 Corinthians 15, which is a very important verse. I see you got it in the wall back here, so it's got to be important to you. And it's very complicated as far as pulling it out. I'll have to go quickly. we only got about three or four minutes. But if a woman have long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Now, we're going to break this up in two sections. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. Now, if you read that carefully, you're going to notice if a woman have long hair. It's not the thought of the length of the hair here. Have. Have is a verb. Verb. And the dictionary meaning of it, first of all, the present tense is the continuous habitual action. And it's the thought of it to let her hair grow, to be having long hair, uh, not to be hindering the length of the hair, to maximize the length of the hair. So if a sister 
is doing that and her hair decides it's going to stop at her ears or her shoulders or halfway down her back or further down it's the idea of the heart that she's in the process of encouraging that hair to grow long she's right with God and um, when, it, when it comes to the thought of if a woman have long hair it is a glory to her very difficult to pull now I'm going with Mr. Vine again see what I'm interested primarily in you understand is it a great disgrace to be shown I want you to know that now the reasons why are very difficult to be pulled out I've spent a lot of time in the, in the lexics and dictionaries but some of you may not have that at home you may not get that yourself you can take it off a ministry meeting or a bible reading or a tape but unless you get the bucks and some of them are hundreds of dollars you don't get, in, you don't get that fresh yourself but if a woman have long hair it's a glory to her and the thought of the word glory according to Mr. Vine and others is it's a sign representing the subjection of the woman to the man or symbolically as we meet here this morning the subjection of the assembly to Christ one, one thought the removable covering the hat or the veil as long as it's um, solid is the, the thought is that man's authority is covered and it's a sign of Christ's right to, to lord over in the sense of to be in charge of the assembly his authority is seen and the long hair is the sign of the assembly's subjection to his right or might or authority his, his domination, dominion that's why when you get up to 5 and 6 if you don't have one, you don't have the other. You may have the covering on and no long hair. That's hard for anybody to judge. You could be seeking to let it grow and maybe it won't grow. Your heart's still right. But if, if you purposely cut your hair off, even though you've got a covering on, or the reverse, it affects the other one. So the two go together. Now, just quickly to, to finish the last part of that verse for her hair and it's the same thought long hair is given is bestowed to her entrusted to her as a gift to keep as a sign and the thought is of given it's the perfect tense and it's the thought that God gave Eve long hair and the perfect is an action completed once for all with permanent results so God gave in the beginning of creation the long hair to the woman and it's once for all and with permanent results today and up until the end of the dispensation and probably on so he hasn't changed his mind and it's been given to you to show as a sign of subjection now is to be given her for a covering. Now that word little for, and you look up other translations, I'm going to bring this out because this is necessary because people read other translations, the words instead of a covering. And the moment people understand what instead of a covering, they run up the passage 
and they switched the hair for the hat. But you read 5 and 6 clearly. You can't do that. And when you understand that this word is a parabolian, it's only used twice in the New Testament, it's got a whole total different idea than the head covering. Because the other time in first, or in Hebrews chapter 1 and 12, it's got to do with a vesture. Now you look up the word vesture, mantle. Let me say this, something like a trench coat. Now let me give you the dictionary definition here and we're, we're done. Uh, Spurious Zodiadi says in 1 Corinthians 15 it's a mantle, a vesture around the body and that's the thought of this thing it's a body cover Mr. Hunter goes along with the same idea but your hair may not grow that long but that's what he gave Eve with the, the purpose as a sign right up until today now in between we got the fall we got the flood a lot of things have changed but I know some sisters where, where we are, their hair is a lot longer than their body. It's down almost to the ankles. But in the beginning of creation, God gave Eve the long hair instead of a covering. It's a synonym of modest apparel instead of clothing at the beginning. That's a simple thought. You can't mix them. And so there's five things God says is a disgrace speaking of sisters in a church cutting your hair shoring your hair uh, not having a removable covering the man it's a disgrace to have a covering it's a disgrace to have long hair now maybe the reasons why aren't too clear today maybe I haven't presented it very clear maybe you haven't thought much about it or looked at it but if you know why, if you're convicted why, you're responsible to hold this for the Lord. It's His truth. Shall we pray? Our Father.